Welcome to the Gospel Ministry of Exchange Church. Thank you for connecting with us for our Bible talk today, and please feel free to share these talks with others as well. It's our desire to connect people to Jesus and grow people in Jesus. To find out more about us, please visit our website, www.exchangechurch.org.au. We're going to start a new series just for the month of January, um, the Book of Jonah. You would have seen that perhaps on the Friday email or on some of the social media stuff as well. Uh, we, what we want to do through the Book of Jonah, it's, it's grace in hard places, uh, and you'll see this as we go through. Uh, w- w- this year, we want to grow a really big vision of who God is, because that's the only way that we can keep moving forward in life as uh, human beings, as the way God's created us, is actually get a, a bigger vision of who God is. The bigger the vision of God, the smaller we become, but that's exactly how it's meant to be. We go smaller, God goes bigger, and that actually fills us with his love and his joy and his blessings of peace as we grow in that. So we're going to see that particularly as we go through uh, the book of Jonah, grace in hard places. Okay, just to kick us off, um, who here lives in Tatura or somewhere nearby? There's got a few, but some aren't here. No hands? No. Okay, um, they had a pretty significant storm there about a week or so back, about 10 days ago. Uh, it was like a mini tornado in many respects. Um, people said it was just, people I spoke to said it was just like this black, dark, ugly sort of you know, sky come and then this unbelievably powerful and violent windstorm with hail and all sorts of other stuff just caused destruction on many, many fronts. So I drove out to Heiko and Kelly's place to catch up with them and there was just trees and limbs down all over the place uh, around Tatura. A number of orchards, again, out the, in that sort of path of the storm, stripped off leaves, stripped off fruit, actually punctured the bark on the trees. So, I mean, just a ferocious storm. Storms leave us feeling very small and powerless, don't they? Very small and powerless. When we witness the strength of wind snapping power poles, which is what happened out there in Tatura as well, power poles were snapped and we, we lost power for about 14 hours, I think 15 hours, uprooting trees. We actually think we're no match for that. And you don't want to go outside, well, this thing is just blowing and there's stuff, trampolines sort of leapfrogging over houses. It's just we're no match for that. That's just we feel small, we feel powerless. We're going to see here as we initially start this book of Jonah, God rules over the storms and he uses them for his purposes. We're going to see that today as we see the opening here of Jonah with grace in hard places. So if you've got your Bibles, please go to Jonah chapter 1. And we're going to read the first chapter. Jonah chapter 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But... The Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship, and had lay down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give us a thought to us that we may not perish. 
And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation, and where do you come from? What is your country, and of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord, because he had told them. Then he said to them, what shall we, then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea, and then the sea will quieten down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to go back to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it has pleased you. So they picked up Jonah, and they hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Lord, what a glorious book of the Bible that we have a chance to open up and read today. Father, thank you for the book of Jonah. We ask and pray now that, Holy Spirit, you would just open our hearts up to see what you want us to see. Open the eyes of our hearts, we pray, Lord, that we would see great and glorious things about you, giving us grace in hard places. Lord, we ask for your help now. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so we really do step into a very unique book of the Old Testament. Jonah is considered to be one of the minor prophets. There's 12 smaller prophets in the Old Testament. Yet this book is not written like the other um, minor prophet books in the Old Testament. If you read the other minor prophets, it's about like judgment oracles and then thus say the Lord this and then the prophet will go on and just relay the words that God had given to him. Jonah's not like that. It's very unique in the way it appears in the rest of the Bible. Jonah is this single story from chapter 1 through to chapter 4. It's a story about Jonah who's meant to go to the people of Nineveh and tell them of God's impending judgment upon them because of all their evil deeds, as we just read that there in those first couple of verses. And it appears like Jonah has probably narrated all these details about himself. Whether Jonah wrote the book or not doesn't really matter. He's obviously given the details either firsthand to someone else or he has actually written the book himself. Because only he could know what was happening on that ship or other places like that. So it's definitely by him. It's a much-loved book by children. They love this story. They just think it's amazing. Um, anybody's got veggie tales? There's uh, Jonah and the whale. That's, um, that's a great story. Our kids all went through that years ago. Uh, and they just love to take the whole thing in. But others, they actually doubt whether this is the true narrative because of these fantastic details. It couldn't possibly be true. How could this be true? How could a, a whale swallow somebody and they live three days and three nights in the belly of this whale? It's surely got to be made up story, but still communicating something to us about God. But for me, I have no problem believing that Jonah is a historical true story recorded for us. Jesus himself referred to it 
He said, the Son of Man will be just like Jonah in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights. So in that sense, I'm hearing Jesus say, it's true. It's true. So Jonah starts off as this very sort of proud, arrogant and cold-hearted person as you actually see him working through this narrative. Anybody reading Jonah here, if they read the, the whole book in one sitting, which I'd encourage you to do that, they would say he's a rebel. He's a sook. And he's unloving towards others. That's not a great sort of CV for God's prophet, is it? But that's about how he's acting through this book here. But I think looking back, he would say he's probably been humbled because he's been been willing to tell his own story here, warts and all. As He's just saying it, that's how I was. So we're going to see that's where Jonah is. We're also going to see God revealing his character and nature here in a very powerful and glorious way over multiple acts. We'll see God in his powerful sovereignty as he ordains storms, fish, plants and even insects. We're going to see that over the next few weeks here. God's actually moving through all these things to carry out his purposes. Uh, We're going to see God reveal his compassion to rescue and to save people regardless of who they are or what they've done. Jonah's going to learn a big lesson about this and we're going to learn that lesson too, I hope, as we go through the book of Jonah. And as we said from the outset, we're going to see God give grace in really hard places to reveal his glory and for our good as we see him working through that. Uh, So today we're going to say, hey, we're going to aim for this. The Lord in his sovereign grace rescues through a multitude of means. Rescues through a multitude of means. Let's start with Jonah as we tell this story. He's a rebel. He's a rebel. He's got this really, really small view of who God is. It's not a big view of God. It's not a big vision of God. It's a really small view. Jonah doesn't see God as Almighty and as the Lord of the universe with full clarity. He might know it mentally. He's got it up there, but he doesn't really get it in his heart and doesn't really fully get the enormity of who God is. He's got a small vision of who God is. The Lord speaks to Jonah and tells him, go to Nineveh. Announce judgment upon them for all their evil that has come up before me. Okay, we saw the opening verses. What does Jonah do? He says, no, I'm not going to do that. What does Jonah do? Well, he actually goes down to the seaport of Joppa and he boards a ship for Tarshish. Now, to set the scene here, for us, it's a bit like this. Nineveh is east of Joppa. Okay, so Joppa's here on the, on the Mediterranean coast. The east is that way, but it might do it that way for you guys. East is that way from, uh, from Joppa. And Tarshish, we don't know exactly where that is. The Bible can't give us an uh, exact um, uh, spot on the map where it is. But the only direction in a boat that you can travel is due west. So Nineveh is east. Tarshish is somewhere due west. Jonah's going the opposite direction. Now, in case I've confused you with that, it's a bit like this. God tells us here, okay, Exchange Church, I want you to go to the Gold Coast and go up there and share the gospel. Well, then we all board a ship and we head to Hobart. It's the opposite direction, isn't it? Well, that's exactly what Jonah's done here. I'm not going there. He's gone the opposite direction. It's like, you know, who do you think you are, Jonah, in responding like this? What do you mean by refusing God? Jonah, have you forgotten who God is? How could you possibly respond this way? Who who do you think you are? 
Well, we're seeing here that Jonah is stained, as it were, by spiritual pride. He's got this really small view of God. Doesn't have a big view of God. I don't care what you say, God. I'm not doing it, and I'm not going there. Well, and the writer makes a very special note here to tell us this very clearly about Jonah, that he's running away from the presence of the Lord. He actually says it a number of times in that first chapter. I'm going, I'm fleeing from the presence of the Lord. I'm moving away from that. So that's where we find Jonah here in this really early stages here at the asset. But God and his wise and good sovereign that he is, he is, will not let his plans be thwarted by a little sort of rebel like Jonah at this time. He's not going to let himself get run over by Jonah and his things. God is about to teach Jonah a lesson and at the same time show his love and grace to these sailors here as we step through this narrative. Okay, Jonah's gone to Joppa, he's paid the fare, he's on a boat and he's heading to Tarshish. The boat barely gets out into open water when this tempest arrives. Now you may be asking, what is a tempest? What is a tempest? Well, it's like a hurricane. It's a massive windstorm. Have a look there in verse 4. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea so that the ship threatened to break up. Okay, so this massive storm has come now, and it threatens the ship. The storm is so violent that the ship is on the verge of breaking up and sinking there and then. Now, just stop for a moment here and note this. How did the hurricane arrive at this ship? How did the hurricane arrive at this ship? Back into verse 4 again. Here's the answer. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so the ship threatened to break up. Who did it? God did it. God is the person behind the storm. God brings this horrendous, violent storm to the ship on the Mediterranean Sea. God directs precisely where the ship is and directs precisely where the storm is going. God does it. God's behind it. God's revealing to us his sovereignty over storms. God has full control over everything in this universe. There's not a thing outside of God's control anywhere. God brings this hurricane here to this ship to achieve his purposes. For the writer of Jonah here, whether it's Jonah or someone else, it's just a given that God controls all these things. He's not trying to give some sort of apologetic or some sort of explanation of how this happens. It's just a given. He just believes God does it. God directs everything. Mysteriously, we don't understand how this all falls into place, but God does it. Let's think about the result here of this hurricane, this tempest that comes upon uh, the ship. Well, in verse 5, the sailors are fearful for their lives, and I'm sure you would be. I don't know whether you guys have seen, I watch the occasional YouTube video of these storms at sea in these boats, and they're frightening when you get out in those storms. The boat rises up the top of the swell or the wave, and it crashes back down to the sort of the valley, but then the next wave comes out, and it's like it's twice the height of the boat when it's coming at you. I could imagine that would be a frightening experience. 
They cry out to their gods to see if they could be saved. So they've all got a multitude of different gods, these sailors. Just cry out to whoever God, maybe one of them can save us. They throw everything overboard. They're trying to lighten the ship so the ship can sort of rise a bit higher out of the water and perhaps not be quite as low. They're doing anything they can because they are fearful for their lives. As you would be in a storm like that. Well, Jonah's on this boat, isn't he? Where's he at this particular time? Well, everybody's doing everything they can to save their lives and save the ship. Well, verse 5 tells us he's in the bottom of the ship and he's fast asleep. He's in the bottom of the ship he's fast, and he's oblivious to it all. He's just found a little comfy, warm, cosy spot down the bottom of the ship. He's put his head on the pillow and he's gone to sleep. Maybe the captain's gone down thinking, what other stuff can we throw out of this boat? And he goes down and he finds Jonah down there. And he says to him, what are you doing, man? What are you doing asleep in the bottom of this boat? Well, we're trying to save our lives and save this ship. Don't you, couldn't you possibly think to come up and help us? Call out to your God. Maybe your God might spare us a thought and might save us and rescue us. The captain calls out that to him. Well, that's giving us probably a bit of a clue how Jonah's travelling at this moment in his life. He's not really too concerned about these sailors. He's not too concerned about the storm. He's actually more concerned about having a good sleep than the bottom of the boat. He's not showing a lot of compassion here for these guys. He's not pulling his weight on there to try and save the thing. We're getting a bit more of a picture here of Jonah. As we work through the narrative there, work through the story, verse 7, they cast lots or they roll the dice here to decide where is this trouble come from? And that's what they used to do back in that culture in that day to try and work out something. They would throw a, a lot or a dice and whatever your number was, they just believed again in God's sovereignty that God would cause that number to come up and that would give them direction on what to do. Now, we don't do that today. I'm not encouraging anybody to try and look for direction in your life by throwing the dice. Don't do that. But that's what they did here. And it comes up, Jonah. God's actually telling the sailors, yeah, it's not your fault, guys. It's this guy over here, the one who's been sleeping on the bottom of the boat. They fire this barrage of questions at him, like, who are you? Where are you from? What is your people? What is your job? What are you doing? And then Jonah in verse 9 answers, I'm a Hebrew. I fear the Lord of heaven, who's created the sea and the dry land. That sort of just puts them back on their haunches. Hang on, you fear the God who created the sea? And this is the sea that's actually now boiling and sort of misting all around us. That increases their fear. And probably by this time, Jonah also told them, I'm fleeing from the presence of the Lord. So, great, Jonah. Thanks, mate. That's why this sea is boiling around us now, because you're running away from the God who's created the sea. And in verse 11, they ask him, well, what do we do? How do we calm this sea down? What do we do to try and get things back in order again? Because, because while they're talking with Jonah and actually finding all these details out, it tells us there this storm is growing more and more violent. The swell is getting larger and larger. They're feeling like it's only one more large wave away from this boat's going to break up and we're going to be gone, guys. It's going to be over. They're panic-stricken and they're filled with fear. Jonah says in verse 12, here's what you've got to do. You've got to throw me into the sea. This boiling, angry sea. You've got to throw me into that and it'll grow calm for you. But here's an amazing picture of these guys, these sailors, these mariners, these men, when they hear that. Look at this response to Jonah's answer in the middle of this storm. Have a look in verse 13. It says this, Nevertheless, 
They just heard the response, throw me into the sea. Nevertheless, we're not thinking about throwing you into the sea, Jonah. We're going to row as hard as we can to try and get back to dry land. But they couldn't, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. They had compassion on Jonah. We don't want to throw you into the sea. We're going to push harder and try and get this thing back in. But God turns up the dial on that storm. It grows more and more violent, more and more angry. They could have easily thrown Jonah overboard and just fixed it up then. No, we want to, we want to try. We want to try and get back. The hurricane blows harder with increased ferocity. The ship is heaving, the ship is rolling, the ship is groaning. It is on the point of smashing apart and going down. What are they going to do? Well, in the end, they've got to make a decision, and they do. They make this decision to put Jonah into the sea. And have a look how they do this in verse 14. Therefore, they called out to the Lord, O Lord. Now, note there, Lord in capital letters, that's Yahweh. That's the one true God of heaven and earth. So it's not their false little g gods. They're now acknowledging the one true God. Therefore, they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life. And lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it had pleased you. They're recognising now the sovereignty of God over this storm. Lord, you have done as it's pleased you here in these circumstances. You've done this. But there's an act of like reverence here with these mariners as they go through this horrendous situation. Something's happened here with these men, with these sailors. Before this, they were pagans, as it were, worshipping a multitude of different and false gods. Call out to your God, the captain said. Maybe your God, the one, the one particular God you say, maybe the one you worship, he could save us. But now these sailors have got a new aspect, a new viewpoint. They have respect and understanding for the one true God. They pray and they ask for grace to be saved from the storm and God's justice as well, Lay not on us this innocent blood. Lord, you've done as it's pleased you. Well, in verse 15, Jonah goes overboard. He goes into the foaming, angry sea, and immediately the sea ceases from its raging waves. As Jonah sinks beneath the water, the sea comes to a uh, peaceful and soothing sight. How do you think those guys would react to that when that's taken place? I'm not talking about Jonah going under the water, but more the, it's just gone from this violent storm to now it's dead calm. Here's the reaction of verse 16. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. What a powerful demonstration of God's sovereignty over the storm. From one moment it's this raging hurricane the ship bobbing around like a piece of wood or cork, just tossing and turning all over the water. And the next moment, it's this soothing, peaceful, calm sea with not a breath of wind in it. They're exceedingly fearing the Lord, a deep, reverent awe for the sovereign Lord. They understand this God is powerful. This God is seriously powerful, and he just changes it like that. Well, what happened to Jonah when he sank under the sea? Now, I have to say this because the kids here may not be aware of the story. They think, did he drown? 
No, we're going to believe exactly what the Bible tells us, that at that precise moment, as Jonah's sinking down into the water, God sends a large fish, possibly a whale, doesn't say it's actually a whale there, possibly a whale, to swallow Jonah whole. And the next three days and nights, Jonah will spend in the belly of that whale. That's for next week, okay? That's for next, you've got to come back next week. He's all right though, kids. He's all right, okay? He's made it. Okay, that's the pickup of that chapter here, of the first chapter of um, Jonah. What are we to do with this dramatic and really powerful, true story? What are we to do with it? How are we, how are we to see that? Well, we've got to see some things here, and the first thing we've got to see is God's sovereignty at work here in the life of Jonah and also around that world. God directs the storm, so that ship is caught right in the middle of it. God directs a fish to come at the precise moment to actually swallow Jonah and to keep him alive. God is sovereign over the universe. God is sovereign over the storm. God wills the storms into existence. He directs every aspect of the wind, of how hard it blows and where it blows. There's not one thing escapes God's control there. Now, I don't know if you've been watching the news this week, but we've seen blizzards in the USA, in Buffalo, New York, uh, freezing cold temperature there. I think the death count was up around 60 plus, last time I saw a report. Uh, We've had torrential rains and floods in Northern Territory this week. There's been floods up there. Uh, We've had heat waves across Australia. We've experienced a bit of that last weekend after Christmas. Bushfires in Tasmania this week as well. Sometimes we sit in wonder at times with the mighty power of these events and we even wonder, is there a being that controls this or what actually takes place here when these things beyond our control are happening around us? Storms and events like that, whether it's floods or fires or whatever, they strike fear into our hearts. We, we begin to see just how small we really are. We seem so powerless in the face of these dramatic events. We ask ourselves, maybe, is this just some sort of natural phenomenon happening randomly? Is this just the course of events? Is it just the weather patterns sort of just coming together and it, does it just happen? Is, this, is there nothing behind all this? Or is there some sort of supreme being who is pulling the levers and making all this happen and, and do whatever? Well, we're going to see that there is a supreme being who does that. Have a look here in Job 37, where Esther read for us before. It says this in Job 37, the first few verses. At this, also my heart trembles and leaps out of its place. Now, he's getting a right view of who God is, right in that first line. Keep listening to the thunder of his voice. Now, he's talking about the thunder we hear in the sky. Keep listening to the thunder of his voice and the rumbling that comes from his mouth. Under the whole heaven, he lets it go. Who's he? God. God directs the thunder. God directs the lightning. He lets it go and is lightning to the corners of the earth. He gets it. God's in all this. Drop down to verse 6 of Job 37. For to the snow, he... Who's he? That's God. For to the snow, God says, fall on the earth... Likewise to the downpour, his mighty downpour. God says, rain here. Just a light shower here, torrential rain here. God does this. 
And we're told again as we come down to verses 12 and 13, God directs the weather for his purposes. Have a look here again. This is talking about the, the, the patterns of the earth here. They, that's the patterns of the earth, they turn around and around by his guidance, God's guidance, to accomplish all that he commands them on the face of the habitable world, whether for correction, God's discipline, or whether just for nourishing his land, growing the crops and watering the land, or for love, just for us to actually see this glorious creation. Who causes it to happen? He causes it to happen. God causes it to happen. God is in control. God directs every weather event in the world to accomplish all that he commands, all that he purposes, all that he desires. And in that, God is to be trusted trusted and worshipped through every storm event that we witness or experience in this world. Whether destruction is caused, whether it just nourishes the land to grow crops, God is to be worshipped. Not because of the death and the carnage that might come from a, a destructive storm, but just worship the God of power who controls that storm. God is to be worshipped. And God, at the same time, he's carrying out his purposes through every event. Nothing is for nothing. Think about these sailors for a moment in this event. Think about what life was like for them back in Joppa the day before they were heading out for Tarshish. Just like any other day for those guys. Loading the ship, checking the sails, making sure the tackle was okay. Probably getting a bit of bait, maybe do some fishing on the way as they were travelling out the port. Probably getting a few extra tattoos that day as well because mainly sailors get tattoos. They might have got an extra tattoo that day on the, as well. Who knows? And probably being, drinking a bit of whiskey as well. That's what sailors do, they tell me. Just a normal day as they're preparing to go out to sea once again. And they've each got their own God that they somewhat believe in will look after them as they make this next trip. But they probably don't think too much about their God until they really need him. They sort of just keep them in the back pocket. That's what the sailors are up to. They're pretty happy doing life according to their way of thinking. They've got no real thought for the one true God at this particular time, the true God, Yahweh, the Lord of the heavens and the earth. Not thinking that way. They just hoist the sails. Off we go, boys. Let's go for a sail. We've done this plenty of times before. But look what God does. God's got different plans and purposes for that trip. The Lord brings along this unbelievably frightening, violent storm to stop those sailors in their tracks to literally stop them in their tracks. In this storm, they no longer live in the dream. This is not just another day in paradise on the boat again. They're now living a nightmare. They're in this frightening, horrible storm. Their worst fears are becoming true before their very eyes. They've heard about these storms from other sailors that have been through it, but now they're actually, we're in the middle of it. And we've heard of these ships that are going down and nobody comes out of these storms. It's all gone. These sailors are on death's door. And it becomes even more real for them as they discover who Jonah is and he's escaping from the Lord who created the sea. What hope have we got, they're thinking? He's on the boat with us. Where are they? They're in a really hard place. Really hard place. Their life is on the line. They are at the mercy of God alone. They are stuck between a rock and a hard place. What's God going to do this day? 
Well, God's actually going to show them grace in an extremely hard and difficult place. And God's going to use the means of a violent storm here, as it were, to awaken these men to the wonder and the majesty of who God is through this storm. You see, at the start of that day, the one true God wasn't even on their radar. God wasn't even in their minds. But by the end of that trip, they haven't got a radar big enough to contain God in. God's used this storm here to give them a big vision of who he is. And as I said before, just imagine when they threw Jonah overboard, what their conception of who God is. What Can this God just still the storm just like that? Just instantly. See, those sailors didn't deserve or earn the grace of God in any way at all to be stilled from that storm. It was nothing they'd done, nothing they'd earned, nothing they deserved. God is showing love and compassion by giving grace to those who don't deserve it today. He just happens at that time to show it to those sailors and those mariners out there. God's revealing himself through the storm. And this same God still walks amongst us today. He dwelled with us. We spoke about him just last week at Christmas. And he continues to call us to come to him to receive this grace. Jesus Christ is with his disciples in Mark chapter 4 when they too were in great danger of a storm, a massive storm. Waves were crashing into the boat and they feared for their life. And Jesus, like Jonah, but not like Jonah, was asleep in the bottom of the boat and they woke Jesus up and they said, Jesus, don't you care about what's happening? And here's Jesus' response. Look in verse 39 and 41 of Mark chapter 4. And he awoke, that is Jesus, and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. He said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and they said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Who is Jesus? He's the God of the storm. The same God that actually calmed the storm for Jonah's time. He still calms storms. Now that particular day he just calmed a storm to save those sailors. But there's a bigger storm coming, and that is the storm of our sin that is just like Nineveh going up before the Lord, and God's judgment is coming. But Jesus actually calmed that storm as well. He went to the cross and took that storm of sin upon himself. So today that we have this opportunity to stand before the Lord in faith, by grace, protected from that storm. It's the same God of the storm. What's today? Today's the first day of 2023. Who knows what storms we'll face this year? I'm not talking literal storms, although there probably will be literal storms that will come through the year. I'm talking about the storms of circumstance and the storms of difficulty. The things that actually show us just how weak we are and how powerless we are. How are we going to deal with those storms? How are we going to deal with those circumstances when they not come along? Not if they come along, when they come along. Are we going to be like a Jonah? Are we going to run away from God? Are we going to find a little cosy place and just go to sleep and just sleep our way through the storm? 
Or are we going to be like the sailors? Take hold of God's grace, come to the God of the storm, trust in his grace to carry us through the storm, whatever may be the end result of that. Here's one of our big dangers for 2023. If we get this shrinking vision of God, it will be disastrous for us. It will not carry us through the storms. We need to see what the, the, the sailors saw, a big vision of God. And that vision of his grace will carry us through the storms that may be and will be for us in 2023. And I praise God for that. He can be trusted in the storm to carry us through. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today as we just start this first chapter of the book of Jonah. We thank you, Lord, that you are utterly sovereign, without question, without rival. God, that is a glorious thing for us to hold on to. That is a powerful thing for us to hold on to. That is a very comforting thing for us to hold on to, Lord. That you are in control. Not the natural elements of this world, not the devil, not the prime minister, not the president, but you are in control, Lord. Although we don't fully grasp or understand what's happening, we know that you're a good sovereign, a holy sovereign, a loving sovereign, a just sovereign. And that you could be trusted, Lord, to fulfill and carry out your purposes in every storm whether it's physical and literal or whether it's just the storm of circumstance and situations that we find in our life. God, today I pray, please help us in the storms to run to you, to run to you and to find the shelter we need in those storms that you will carry us through that. Today, Lord, we ask and we pray that now in Jesus' name. Amen. We trust you have enjoyed our Bible talk from today. If you have any questions or comments from today's talk, please feel free to contact us at info at exchangechurch.org.au. Also, we love to welcome new people at Exchange Church in person, so consider yourself invited to be with us.